0: It's Monday, August 16th, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is David Osman on the road for Radio Free Oz.
1: And, well, today I'm here in Tehran, Iran, with international fashion tastemaker
0: Yves sans David. <laughs> Bonjour, Yves. Oh, superb to be here, David. It, it's summertime, and once again, the Iranian fashions are in the news.
1: Oh, that's uh, that's right, Eve. And, and leading the official runway parade here at today's Veil vale and Chastity Festival is the Clean Street Squad from the Ministry of Culture. Here they come.
0: Yes. They are the morality police, and they are dressed uh, to chase after people who are not chest enough. Oh, <laughs> it's yes. Completely stylish blue suit, they are seen with the shoulder padding a la Men's Warehouse, uh-huh, the short sleeve yes. Walmart of China shirt, and, of course, no tie.
1: Well, ties, I understand, are banned here as un-Iranian. Huh?
0: <laughs> David, <laughs> it's 115 degrees in the soup, but, but uh, here march the Barber's Battalion, hundreds oh, of hair cutters, all carrying posters to displaying the new official styles for men.
1: Yes, Eve, the Ministry wants to halt the spread of unconventional styles. Well, mullets and and mohawks,
0: I guess. Well, they certainly have done that here today. To me, all these hairstyles look exactly the same.
1: But, But, Eve, now tell me, do you think that these cuts confront, as they say here, the decadent Western cultural invasion?
0: The good news is none of these haircuts resemble the world wide tonsorial terror of 1975. Oh,
1: I remember the that. The
0: bad news is, to me, they are all identical to the head of Wayne Newton with just a quiff of jet. Well,
1: well, okay. Well, finally, here come the traditional twin paddy wagons for cultural prisoners. I, I see a man inside that one. He's got a bony tail. It will have to
0: go to the And the other one, a loosely veiled woman with an under. Iranian shade of pink
1: lipstick. Oh, I'm afraid it's up for scrubbing. Well, both of them are really lucky, though. In another country, they might have been stoned to death right here on the spot. That's very strict. Oh, yes. Well, this is David Osman on the road for Radio Free Oz. By the way, what do you call your coiffure, Eve?
0: Just skinned, David. It is enough of me. Oh, Radio Free Oz, back on the wave, speed of light, how can it not be right? I'm Peter Bergman, your host, my co-host, David Ozman. What's up, man? What's up, what's up? Uh, well, I, I, uh, I came across a couple of, uh,
1: shall we say, political uh, prisoner items here that I thought I'd share with you. Uh,
0: plenty of those in the news, Dave. Yeah. You don't have to worry about losing uh, out on them political no. prisoner well, stories.
1: Uh, Colorado, um, uh, this is dated, bombing conspirator sues over lack of fiber and diet. Oh. Terry Nichols, the no. Oklahoma oh, City bombing conspirator, says prison officials in Colorado inserted IVs into his veins and force-fed him after hunger strikes uh, this year. Mr. Nichols recently filed a handwritten document in a lawsuit against officials at the federal Supermax prison in Florence, Colorado, over the lack of whole grains, unpeeled fruit, and fewer refined
0: foods in his diet. You know, he might have thought of that just before he put together that fertilizer and mm. diesel oil bomb that that blew up all those women and children and government workers and other you know uh, you know minions of the Antichrist.
1: Supermax,
0: the Supermax
1: prison. Well, I was suspicious when it said that his weight dropped thirty five pounds. You know, to a hundred and twenty five pounds. Which, if you slippery yourself up a little bit, seems like you get right through the bars there at at old Supermax.
0: There are no bars at Supermax. Well,
1: there are no bars down there at Guantanamo either. There's just a lot of uh, razor wire, I think. But uh, uh, here's they just had a media tour down there. They do this pretty frequently, and the reporters go through and. Much of the media tour is intended to convey that the 176 men, it's, I think, a million dollars a day keeping them down there, isn't it? 176. It's invisible in the budget, 176 million. Uh, Anyway, they're holding 176. Camp guards describe the curriculum for detainees, which includes a living skills course on home budgeting and resume writing. (laughs) No, wait
0: a minute. Wait a minute. I, I am by nature a surrealist. I've been with you for 43 years in the Fire Sign Theater. We've gone through this and that. The Guantanamo Inmates are being taught home budgeting and resume writing. writing. Yes,
1: right. Oh, uh, good. Uh huh. I like. It, remember, it's, a, it's you know basketball and <laughs> whatever it was that they taught in did school. You know. Well, or, yeah,
0: water polo. Water yeah, for polo for the exchange students. They're <laughs> exchanging me for someone who can play the tuba. Well, <laughs> now, now I love. it. So, Mister Awahid, do you want to come here to work for uh, Advanced Pipe and Nipple? And let's see, you were a un. What was this called? A non-combatant or an un. un-, un- ununiformed combatant and you've spent like eight years behind razor wire and you would like to change the world starting one infidel at a time well i don't know if we've got a place for you <laughs> but this is a lovely resume oh, and that home goodness. budget you're working on at home is, budget is, is a super yeah max. i
1: mean that i think if they those russian spies got a look at these guantanamo home budgets they would have been way ahead they wouldn't have got caught huh ah yes
0: the houses that jack built that are no longer worth jack By the end of the first quarter of 2010, the number of mortgaged residential properties with negative equity had reached 11.2 million homes. Those 11.2 million homes make up roughly 24% of all U.S. mortgages. Add the 2.3 million borrowers who are close to slipping underwater, and the numbers rise to 13.5 million. 28% of all mortgages are underwater or about to drown. This aligns with other industry estimates. Earlier this year, Mark Zondi, chief economist at Moody's economy.com, estimated that roughly 15 million American homeowners owe the bank more than their home is worth. Calculating how many households are underwater, how far underwater they are, and how many others are at risk of sliding into negative equity uh, should housing values decline further is critical to forecasting future foreclosures, a recovering in housing values, and the financial health of U.S. households. The data confirms the common sense expectation that there's a direct correlation between negative equity and foreclosures. As the number of homeowners who are underwater rises, so do foreclosures. No big surprise. Many homes are worth only half of their mortgages. There are 4.1 million homeowners with more than 50% negative equity and another 5 million homeowners with 20 to 50% negative equity. I got a house, supposed to be worth a million dollars. Guess what? It's only worth $500,000 and I've got an $800,000 mortgage on it. Time to walk. So the majority of the 11.2 million properties with negative equity are deeply underwater, and are thus unlikely to be made whole by modest increases in home prices, i.e., the bubble's over, folks. Uh, Home prices in 2003, 2004, 2005, totally unrealistic. We're not going back there. But the mortgages aren't going to be shrunk, and the banks aren't going to reconcile them. People are just going to have to walk away. There are whole blocks of houses in the Imperial Valley in California that are empty, ghost streets. So therefore home home prices are not going up that makes further increases in foreclosures likely and so it's unsurprising that economy.com expects that this year's foreclosures will swell to 2.4 million does the word dust bowl come to mind The data presented by CoreLogic backs up these conclusions. The highest percentage of homes with negative equity are concentrated in the states that experience the most extreme price increases and the subsequent severe declines in valuations. Nevada, Arizona, Florida, and California. Though the media focuses on the bubble states, many other states also have high rates of negative equity. Over 20% of homeowners in Virginia, for example, are underwater, and an additional 5.7% are in near-negative equity territory. Virginia was, was used to be a very stable real estate state. No longer one out of every four is ready to put the old bundle on the stick and, you know, and become a hobo. Properties were more than one mortgage. Those with second mortgages or home equity lines of credit called HELOC on top of the first mortgages were twice as likely to be underwater than those with only a first mortgage. 38% of the double mortgage folks are going underwater as opposed to 19% without it. What is surprising is how few homes have conventional 30-year mortgages that require a down payment. When I grew up, my folks were paying 6% on the house your down payment was probably somewhere around 20%. And that was like the norm for ever so long. Not anymore. Not not with the rise of funny money. Only 12 million of the roughly 48 million homes with mortgages had only a conventional fixed 30-year mortgage and no additional liens. Standard mortgages are disappearing. So, Only 25% of all homes with mortgages had what was once the only loan available, the conventional 30-year fixed mortgage supported by a 20% cash down payment minimum. All this suggests that only 25% of mortgages, those with 30-year fixed rate mortgages, are at low risk of negative equity. The remaining 75% mortgage holders at high risk of negative equity or already underwater number about 35 million households and make up around half of total home owning households. This is a disaster. I mean, you know what really, really gets me about this greater depression? Of course, there was the great depression. We're the greater depression because we're doing better than our folks. Is that, we don't know it's happening because we're all at home eating bad food, watching large screen televisions. We're seeing stories about vampires and, you know, uh, uh, horny housewives, etc. and etc. When the whole economy and the whole society and the whole spiritual fabric of this fabulous nation is dissolving around us. Hey, wake up!
1: Whenever a fluorescent score motion is required... It may also be employed in conjunction with a drawn reciprocation dingle arm to reduce sinusoidal repleneration.
0: Now, I like Senator Debbie Stabenow. She's from Michigan. I'm from Ohio. I like like her roots. I like her take. She's tough. She's pro-labor, but mainly she's pro-people. She's introduced a bill that would provide extra weeks of benefits to people who've reached the end of their unemployment insurance lifelines. The measure would provide 20 extra weeks of unemployment benefits and extend a tax credit for businesses that hire workers who've been unemployed for 60 days or longer. Across our state, more than 35,000 people who have lost their jobs have also exhausted their unemployment insurance benefits, said Stabenow. I know that these men and women want to work and have been trying their best to find jobs in this difficult economy. Through June and much of July, the Senate was locked in an epic struggle just to reauthorize existing benefits for people who've been out of work for longer than six months. It was a national disgrace, is what it was. Many Republican senators suggested that the extended benefits, which in some states provided up to 99 weeks of help, discourage people from looking for work and make the recession worse. Yeah, $245 a week with a family. I'm just going to stay home on that, and, you know, watch my big flat-screen TV, huh? No, I'm going to be I'm going to be growing an ulcer, if not a permaculture urban garden. A study by the San Francisco Federal Reserve found that the extended benefits have not been important factors in the increase in the duration of unemployment or in the elevated unemployment rate. Why don't they tattoo that on the head of every Republican congressman? In a strong economy, state governments provide layoff victims 26 weeks of benefits. In normal recessions, states and the federal government partner to provide an additional 20 weeks. To fight the worst recession since the Great Depression, Congress in 2008 and 2009 passed several measures to provide up to 53 additional weeks of federally funded benefits broken into four tiers. The Labor Department estimates that 1.4 million people have exhausted all of those available tiers. The National Employment Law Project applauded Stabenow's bill. NELP commends Senator Stabenow and her co-sponsors of the Americans' Want to Work Act, both for being champions of those hardest hit by the recession, but also for keeping the focus on the most important thing, getting those who have exhausted their benefits back to work. This is from Talking Points Memo, Dave. To many conservatives, and you know this already, Almost everything is a secret liberal plot, from fluoride in the water to Medicare reimbursements for end-of-life planning with your doctor to efforts to teach evolution in schools. It's all a liberal plot. But Conservapedia founder and Eagle Forum University instructor Andy Schlafly, does that name? Hey, that rings a bell there. Phyllis's then. son, okay. all right, has found one more liberal plot, The Theory of Relativity. Now, let's stop. Before we go into, Conservapedia founder, and he teaches at the Eagle Forum University. Now, Glenn Beck has a university. Phyllis Schlafly has a university. You know, not much of a ball
1: team. You could have Oziversity. We could have the Oziversity, uh, the Oziversity, Oziversity, right here. and we'd
0: have a ball team. There you we go. We could
1: lay these friggers to waste. The printing is cheap too oh. on those
0: diplomas. Oh, it oh nothing to it. Not PDFs. Yeah, there right? you go. You Just... don't get a PhD from Oziversity. You get a PDF. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but, yes. All right. So the theory of relativity is the liberal uh, plot. Okay. <laughs> if you're behind on your physics, the theory of relativity was Albert Einstein's formulation in the earliest early 20th century that gave rise to the famous theorem that E equals mc squared, otherwise stated as energy is equal to mass times the square of the speed of light. Right? Okay. Sure. Why does Andy Schlafly hate the theory of relativity? I'm waiting to find out. Boy, yeah. am I too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. right. Why? we're pretty sure it's because he's decided it doesn't square with the Bible. Oh. In the entry, counter examples to relativity, the authors, including Schlafly, write, the theory of relativity is a mathematical system that allows no exceptions. It is heavily promoted by liberals who like mm. its encouragement of relativism and its tendency to mislead people in how they view the world <laughs> wait, wait, wait,
1: wait a minute. The theory of relativity exposes this this dreadful disease of relativism that oh. that infects oh yeah
0: right <whistles> uh, now remember when Albert ah. Einstein toured. Uh, Hollywood, he went to Warner Brothers uh, uh, Studios, and Jake Warner, what was the... the, the, the War- Jack Warner. Jack Warner. Jack, Jack Warner Jack. comes up and says, Professor Einstein, he says, I love your theory of relatives. You ought to meet some of mine. <laughs> So anyway,
1: okay. So, sorry, so, so, Schlafly, so why? why is
0: Schlafly on. believe that this that, re, that relativity is a problem? Okay. See, histo- because historian Paul Johnson's book about the 20th century and the article written by liberal law professor Lawrence Tribe, as allegedly assisted by Barack Obama, <laughs> is full of it. Virtually no one who is taught and believes relativity continues to read the Bible, says Schlafly, uh-huh. a book that outsells the New York Times bestsellers by a hundredfold. In other words. Reading a theory about physics is correlated to a decrease in people's interest in reading the Bible, which means it causes people to stop reading the Bible, so it is part of a liberal plot. Um, Now, well, okay. Here's the problem. All right. Why did Albert Einstein not get a Nobel Prize? For the theory of relativity, for the general, for the special theory of relativity. He never got it because Hitler had denounced it as Jewish science. So we're back uh, to Jewish science. Not that Schlafly cares about the fact that Einstein was a Jew. It's not a matter of anti-Semitism. It's a matter of anti-thinking. You know, it's elitism. It's it's too smart. It's too problematic. It's too deep for his little brain. Besides that, it's relative.
1: Yeah, Man, that's really worrisome. We wouldn't want to, you know, shades of uh, actually, it's absolute, and, which is pointed out in the in the the the, the definition, right? And
0: it's burning up his little nut brain. The story from Politico resonates particularly with me when in Los Angeles for many years I worked with an organization called Under the Bridges, and we delivered meals to the homeless, the very homeless that were not reached by the missions, uh, literally living under bridges and other uh, not-so-savory places, and a full third of my clients were vets. The Obama administration is now considering its strategy for drawing down troops from Afghanistan starting in July 2011 and earlier from Iraq. It's time to consider what we as a nation are willing to do to help keep veterans from being homeless when they return. Just as we devote resources to protecting our troops while they are abroad, America must mirror that support here and end the disgrace of homeless veterans. Officially, more than 107,000 veterans are homeless on any given night. 107,000 vets homeless. Now, regardless of what you feel about the military... regardless of what you feel about the mission of the military past or present, I was in it. I was a grunt in the army. you know. I I did my very best to do as little as I could as as a grunt, but nonetheless, there I was. Anybody who puts on a uniform is putting themselves at risk, and as far as they are concerned, is serving their country. And it's an abomination that they should come home wounded and in shock and be thrown out on the streets. It's a national disgrace, and we must immediately do something about it. Not just about the vets who are homeless. Uh, Anyone who is homeless, is 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 a case at point and must be rescued. But perhaps by at least giving context to it through looking at these very men and women who have served their country in uniform and getting them off the streets, we might be able to succeed in a broader effort. Okay, so there's officially, there's 107,000 veterans homeless on, on any night. We know that there are many more on the brink, doubling up with family and friends, tackling a dismal job market, coping with the instability born of post-traumatic stress disorder, and other complex issues that can make the transition to civilian life seem overwhelming. It doesn't just seem overwhelming, it is overwhelming, and if you go for a job interview there at Human Resources and you are suffering from PTSD, they know it, they can feel it. It makes it twice as hard for you to get a job. The federal government has laid out a thoughtful plan to attack this big problem. It's called Opening Doors. The Federal Strategic Plan to Prevent and End Homelessness takes aim at the obstacles that have consigned so many U.S. veterans to homelessness. In addition, the Interagency Council on Homelessness program zeroes in on strategies that can also succeed. The first is to offer permanent supportive of housing and services, especially employment assistance that are proven to turn around the lives of the chronically homeless. The second, increase the access to veteran services. Veterans usually opt for self-sufficiency and are often ambivalent about seeking and getting help. While the VA offers a range of services, many homeless veterans refuse to use them. Instead, some have withdrawn to homeless camps in urban or rural areas. I have met many of them. I understand the psychology. They don't like the feeling they get when they go to the VA. They feel that they are being infant. They feel that they are being judged. Many of them have mental problems and don't know what's happening. But in any case, they're in the camp, they're under the bridge, they're in the pit, rather than being in a safe, clean, and supportive environment. And the third strategy is to boost veterans' employment. The unconscionably high unemployment among Iraq and Afghanistan veterans has to be reversed. Since June, it has increased more than two percentage points, from 9.3 to 11.5, putting it officially two points higher than the official unemployment unemployment rate. We need to leverage the competitive strengths that veterans offer, technological mastery, teamwork, and the ability to perform under pressure. We need to urge employers to hire veterans and offer training to those who need it. No, we've got to go further than that because I don't think we can get the employers to do that. Plus, there are others in the job market that are as equally skilled and have not been in the Army and are not suffering from PTSD. No, we have to create these jobs. We need a new, new deal. We have to open up a brand new America. I can see the tea parties, tea party people hanging themselves by their own teabag strings. Socialism, Marxism, he's Che, he's Mao. No, it's compassion. It's the future. It's human need. I call this review of the AFPAC scene this week, Afghanistan, yes, we can't. Which is now the Radio Free Oz bumper sticker. I was going to say, that's bumper sticker type language there, Bergman. Well, it's available if you go up to the Radio Free Oz Facebook page. You can download it and do with it as you see fit. It's a beaut. All right. Okay, Afghanistan. The new U.S. commander in Afghanistan says the goal of uh, starting an American pullback by July 2011 will depend on conditions... At the time. Uh Ah, will Petraeus Petraeus. Mm. In an interview tape for NBC's Meet the Press, General David Petraeus hedged a bit when asked by interviewer David Gregory if the summer deadline next year was non-negotiable. Petraeus says that President Barack Obama has expressed very clearly that he wants for me uh, to give him my best military advice, and he said uh, I would communicate that to him. uh, If sufficient progress is made, the guy's like, blurbing all over the place that that's real life. He said, he just, it's all about real life. So Petraeus conceded the U S mission in the war weary South Asian nation is tough and will remain. So my question is, yeah, if he fails, if Petraeus <clears throat> fails, right, we have nothing left. There's no one to go to and nowhere else to make war. It's over.
1: You think so? You think if we end this one? No. War is now being uh, uh, done entirely by surrogates, though the military will come back to their various bases in their various states, which uh, provide employment for a lot of people, and they will come back and we will leave... Uh, 20,000 murderous thugs in Afghanistan taking, you know, uh, 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 guarding our ambassadorial staff of thousands of people. We're never going to leave Afghanistan. We built too many buildings in Afghanistan. We've, uh, you know, and besides, if the Chinese get all that Titanium and stuff up in the North Way. Oh, we're really screwed.
0: Like, I really care. Okay, Defense Secretary Robert Gates (laughs) is calling for a change in attitude on Capitol Hill to help the thousands of civilians that we've got in Afghanistan. He's blaming the Congress for not giving them enough money, and that's why things aren't going so well. These are the independent contractor guys, right? And and finally, since 2004, the number of soldiers going AWOL has increased. (laughs) By two hundred <clears> and thirty four percent, and it says that the the, the the rate has been rising at the rate of more than five thousand a year for the last five years. Good order and discipline are on the decline. the report says that's because they had to cut down the standards for uh, Abs- people who joined the army we, and the marines <clears throat> we're looking we're, we're looking for and it used to be we're looking for one fine man or one, whatever that was. Now we're looking for anybody we can scrape off the streets. So it, it's not a good scene. We are losing Afghanistan. Yes, we can't. A story of Tarje Many people call it Target, but we who try to throw some sort of sophistication into our uh, mass marketing, (laughs) Jones, call it Target. It just seems so much more sophisticated. Anyway, Target Corporation sought to take advantage of new campaign finance rules, but ended up putting a bullseye on its back. This according to the Wall Street Journal. The Minneapolis retailer recently donated $150,000 to a political group, Minnesota Forward, ...that backs pro-business candidates in statewide races, including a candidate for governor who opposes same-sex marriage. Hundreds of gay rights supporters demonstrated outside Target stores and locations nationwide. And a petition promising a boycott signed by more than 240,000 was delivered to Target. Gays really know how to get it together. There is nothing more powerful than a real boycott. Believe me, it just it just puts, uh, <laughs> it puts all principles and all prejudices down. The target flap shows the potential downside for companies that want to get more involved in politics since a January Supreme Court ruling on campaign contributions. Brand-oriented companies in particular worry about getting embroiled in controversies that can tarnish their reputation. It's a rare political black eye for this trendy discounter, which has a track record of supporting gay causes including extended partner health benefits to his employees. The campaign against Target was orchestrated by liberal advocacy group MoveOn.org. It included a note on the retailer's Facebook page that said, Boycott Target until they cease funding anti-gay politics. We may target the target, said Ilsa Hoag, the group's director of public advocacy. Ms. Hoag said MoveOn and its members plan to gin up bad publicity for any company venturing into political campaigning. Target Chief Executive Greg Steinhoffel apologized in a letter to his employees a day before the protests. The intent of our political contribution to MN Forward was to support economic growth and job creation. He said, while I firmly believe that a business climate conductive to growth is critical to our future, I realize our decision affected many of you in a way I did not anticipate. And for that, I am genuinely sorry. The man actually apologized. Unlike most of those Mohawks who get up after doing something outrageous and saying I'm sorry if what I did made you upset you know I'm sorry if the holocaust is a negative in your life nothing wrong with the holocaust you're just you ought to like like thicken up your skin bucko The January Supreme Court ruling known as Citizens United loosened restrictions on corporate and union activity in elections. The court said these entities could dip into their treasuries to pay for ads supporting or opposing candidates. This is lunacy. Once again, it's time to decapitate the corporations. The corpus must be killed. It does not make sense. It is not just. It is not realistic. It is not good social policy to grant corporations the status of an individual. Before the law It allows them all the perks of being an individual, but the corporate veil protects them from all of their abominations. Previously, they were prohibited, these the corporations, from paying for ads directly and could only use funds contributed by employees or members. Now they can take ill-gotten gains or even well-gotten gains and do anything they bloody well want to in the political field. Karl Rove is got a woody over this one. Ooh, is he one hard, happy man. It's harder to get corporations to do this, actually, says Move On, get involved in the whole political process, than a lot of people thought it was going to be, said Vin Weber, a former Republican lawmaker from Minnesota who is now a lobbyist and political consultant, one of the basically kind of middle-of-the-road OK Republicans that got pushed out by all the crypto-fascists. People think that most businesses are Republican, but by and large, companies don't think that it makes much of a difference which political party controls Washington. Well, I hope that changes. I hope they find that the new New Deal does exactly what I hope it does, which is puts corporations in their place. If you invest in a corporation, you have to be responsible for what they do, good or bad, just like you take the losses and the gains with them.
2: To be free, like an island from afar. When you listen to your soul, do you feel me? Do you hear me in your heart? Maybe Wounded in the wall Like the tide it washed away And do you listen to yourself anymore And do you hear me when I sing?
0: From the Grey Lady As public anger rises over the government's slow and chaotic response to Pakistan's worst flooding in 80 years, Hardline Islamic charities have stepped into the breach with a grassroots efficiency that is earning them new support among Pakistan's beleaguered masses. Victims of the floods and political observers say the disaster has provided yet another deeply painful reminder of the anemic health of the civilian government as it teeters between the ineffectual and neglectful. The floods have opened a fresh opportunity for the Islamic charities to demonstrate that they can provide what the government cannot. Much as the Islamists did during the earthquake in Kashmir, in 2005, which helped them lure new recruits to band militant groups through the charity wings that front for them. In just two districts in this part of the Northwest, three Islamic charities have provided shelter to thousands, collected tens of thousands in donations, and served about 25,000 hot meals a day since last Saturday, six full days before the government delivered cooked food. The West says we are terrorists and intolerant, but in time of need, we're the ones serving the people, said Maulana Yusuf Shah, the provincial leader of one of the groups, Jamayat ulema e islam Yeah, no, it's true. They are intolerant, and they are deadly, but they do know how to step in in a crisis. The fact is, one doesn't really have anything much to do with the other, except in the mind and hearts of people that they are serving. Miana Adil, the vice chairman of another group, fala i said the aid he distributed at a center in one of the districts, Shera, came with a message attached not to trust the government and its Western allies. Fala-i-Insanayat is the charity wing and the latest front for lakshar e tayyiba the group behind the 2008 terrorist attacks in Mumbai, India. So they can blow the hell out of women and children, right, in Mumbai, and then serve hot meals to people running from the floods in Pakistan and get good press for it jamaat ud is the political arm of Lakshar, which the United Nations has listed as a terrorist group. Not just the United States. The United Nations has listed them as a terrorist group. So by day, we serve the poor, and by night, we kill them. Under pressure since the Mumbai attacks, Jamaat-ud-Dawa had lowered its profile, but now at least one of its relief centers in Manwali, in Punjab, boldly flies its trademarked flag, displaying a black sword. What a nice thought. Served by the black sword. The very visible presence of such groups shows they continue to operate openly from their strongholds in Punjab province, the nation's heartland, to far-flung corners of the northeast, where they are expanding their legitimacy and, by extension, their ideology. Their gains come as the United States continues to struggle to win support in the region despite lavishing billions of dollars in military and civilian aid on Pakistan since 2001 to encourage its help in fighting the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. There she is, the belle of Wellesley, the beautiful Hillary Clinton coming with buckets of dollars to these corrupt, you know, uh, crypto terrorists hoping that they will somehow flush out al-qaeda and taliban in waziristan and the various other stands where the terrorists are making their stand a 30 year old tobacco dealer gohar Aman, said he got a taste of the nearly complete absence of the government's response when he got in his car to search for a relief post he could entrust with an 80 donation for 25 miles all he could find were centers run by hardline islamic groups an unsettling option for a man who his brothers are elected leaders of the governing secular party. Finally, he settled on the Hakina Madrasa, a fundamentalist boarding school whose alumni include Jaluddin Haqqani, who runs the militant network that recruits suicide bombers to strike at coalition forces in Afghanistan from his redoubt inside Pakistan. Haqqani and his father murderous sons of bitches. The school's leaders, including the director, Maulana Shah, had converted their buildings just off the main road in Charsada into a dignified homeless shelter, providing hot meals, medical treatment, and 24-hour electricity to 2,500 flood victims. It's our first time here, said Mr. Aman, giving a wad of cash to the director, but we see how comfortable the people are living here, and we can't trust the government. President Asif al-Zadari, already deeply unpopular, (laughs) deeply unpopular, and in Pakistan, you don't want to be deeply unpopular because you're going to find yourself deeply underground, has come in for stinging criticism for leaving in the middle of the crisis to visit France and Britain as Pakistan grappled with floods that one provincial minister said would set the country back 50 years. The worst flooding in 80 years, and the president flies off to Western Europe. I don't care if Zadari is in Europe, Mein Gul 50, a laborer who lost his home and two cows said in an interview, his government is in Pakistan. But where are they? David, this is the article for which we earn our salary. Because, of course, salary comes from the word salt. You know, you're worth your salt. Oh, yes. okay. Salt was a big deal. It's a big deal today. But the New York Times tells us that with salt under attack for its ill effects on the nation's health, the food giant Cargill kicked off a campaign last November to spread its own message. Quote, salt is a pretty amazing compound. Alton Brown, a Food Network star, gushes in a Cargill video called Salt 101. So make sure you have plenty of salt in your kitchen at all times. The campaign by Cargill which both produces and uses. Keeps me from slipping on the floor. Right? Yeah, it's also good for throwing my shoulder for good yeah, luck. That's and all, right, you know, all, all those that use. stuff, yeah. I, th- I don't know if it works Mice on vampires, but you never know. Mice don't like it, but go right ahead. Yeah. Right, right. The campaign by Cargill, which both produces and uses salt, promotes salt as life-enhancing and suggests sprinkling it on foods as varied as chocolate cookies, fresh fruit, ice cream, and even coffee. Hmm. You might be surprised, Mr. Brown says, by what foods are enhanced by its briny kiss. Ho, ho, ho says Mr. Brown,
1: it's briny
0: kiss. It's briny Who kiss. Who writes
1: his material? Probably Come himself.
0: On. By all appearances, this is a moment of reckoning for salt because high blood pressure is rising among adults and children. Government health experts, they're estimating that deep cuts in salt consumption could save a 100 and lives a year. I'm sorry. The world's overcrowded
1: anyway. But well, go, go on. Go but right on. But
0: processed foods account for most of the salt in the American diet, you according bet. to national health, health officials. In fact, Mayor Richard Bloomberg of New York and Michelle Obama are urging food companies to greatly reduce their use of salt. Last month, the Institute of Medicine went further, urging the government to force companies to do so. Oh, the teabaggers. Oh, oh hey, no. government no, forces. No, they telling me I can't put salt on my pizza? I put salt in my milk. Come on. I can't put more salt in my coffee. That's a taste I can't live with. Out. Out. But the industry is working overtly and behind the scenes to fend off these attacks using a shifting set of tactics that have defeated similar efforts for 30 years. I'm watching you, Cargill. Go ahead. Industry insiders call the strategy delay and divert. Uh
1: Uh (laughs) Are we using that somewhere else? Well, no, that's shock and awe. Oh, I remember, yeah. Yeah.
0: And they say companies have a powerful incentive to fight back. They crave salt as a low-cost way to create tastes and textures. Mm. trying to do that with my voice right now. Right, tastes and textures. Doing without it risks losing customers, and replacing it with more expensive ingredients risks Losing profits. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. When health advocates first petitioned the federal government to regulate salt in 1978, food companies sponsored research aimed at casting doubt on the link between salt and hypertension. Can't do that anymore. Two decades later, when federal officials tried to cut the salt in products labeled healthy, mm-hmm. companies argued that foods already low in sugar and fat would not sell with less salt. Uh-huh. Now the industry is blaming consumers for resisting efforts to, resu- to reduce the salt in all foods, pointing to, as Kellogg put it in a letter to a federal nutrition advisory committee, the virtually intractable nature of the appetite for salt. So it's the salt addicts. It's the people with the salt Jones out there that are keeping the fast food industry from taking the stuff out. This, this is uh,
1: Well, yeah, because that's what the taste in all those foods is, after all. is It's all salt. I mean, look at the ingredients. Supplies ninety five percent of the daily intake of salt. Yeah.
0: Well. Okay. Okay. Even as it was moving from one line of defense to another, the processed food industry's own dependence on salt has deepened, Ooh. according to an interview with company scientists. Oh, those are people I don't want to company go to scientists. With. Uh, salt company scientists. Oh no. Beyond its own taste, salt also makes bitter flavors and counters a side effect of processed food production called warmed-over flavor, which yeah. the scientists said can make meat taste like cardboard or damp
1: dog hair. Oh well, I salt my damp dog hair before I consume it. So Absolutely, I, I Everybody on it do, doesn't everybody do that with dog? I damp encrust
0: dogs? my damp dog hair with salt. <laughs> That's the only thing to do. Salt also works yeah. in tandem with fat and sugar to achieve. Flavors that grip the consumer and do not let go. Oh, uh-huh. and allure. A- they, what they do is they grip the sides of the arteries yes. and never let go. This is an allure the industry has recognized for decades. Quote, once a, prefer- once a preference is acquired, a top scientist at Frito Lay wrote in a mm. 1979 in- internal memorandum, uh-huh. most people do not change it, but simply obey it. They obey it. Obey oh. the Salt Jones. In, in recent months, Food companies, including Kellogg, have said they were redoubling efforts to reduce salt, but they say they can go only so far, so fast, without compromising taste consumers have come to relish or salt's ability to preserve food. We have to earn the consumer's trust every day, said George Doughty, a senior vice president of Campbell's Soup. And if you disappoint the consumer, there is no guarantee they will come back. Now, Campbell's makes
1: so many different kinds of soup. Like it's 300 feet of soup in the store. It stretches on, white and red, red and white it goes on and on and on there's a salt there's a salt free everything no. along with a increased salt and, and manly and, salt and, uh, and
0: low salt and <laughs> wussy salt <laughs> all what?
1: those compromises they've all already done that i mean
0: do you know by the way that uh, campbell soup is the largest purchaser of wine in the country, that there's wine in almost all their soups.
1: Yeah, but you have to salt it. Yeah,
0: right. Okay, here's case study. Okay. The (sighs) Cheez-It. Ready? Okay, the (sighs) Cheez-It. The power that salt holds over processed foods can be seen in an American snack icon, the Cheez-It. At the company's laboratories in Battle Creek, Michigan, a Kellogg vice president and food scientist, John Keplinger, ticked off the way salt makes its little square cracker work. I'd like to show you the way these little square crackers work here. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure think- you've all had a
1: few of these before, but this is the way it works. Go right ahead. Oh, doctor.
0: heck, man. I think John Keplinger is probably a little square cracker. First,
1: Wrong accent, but go
0: ahead. Salt sprinkled on top gives the tongue a quick buzz. Quick <laughs> buzz. More salt in the cheese adds crunch. Still more in the dough blocks the tang that develops during fermentation. In all, a generous cup of Cheez-Its delivers one-third of the daily amount of sodium recommended for most Americans. That's it.
1: One third of a cup? No, it, a cup. Just a little cup of cheeses. A like cup of gra- cheeses. You grab your hand like you while you're watching,
0: you know, uh, world wrestling. I would never do that. But well, go ahead. As a demonstration, Kellogg prepared some of its biggest sellers with most of the salt removed. uh Oh, the cheese fell apart in surprising <laughs> ways. The golden yellow hue faded. I like this cheese
1: it but it looks a bit faded. Now, I want to show you, that's without the salt. It's the faded one you see the here. The
0: crackers became sticky when chewed, and the mash ...packed onto the teeth. The taste was not merely bland, but medicinal. I got to
1: say, if you can't spit it out and taste like medicine as a piece, excuse me, I got to leave. Quote,
0: I really got the bitter on that, the company spokeswoman J. Andere Putman said, with a wince, as as she watched Mr. Keplinger struggle to swallow... They moved on to cornflakes. Without salt, the cereal tasted metallic. The Eggo waffles evoked stale straw. The butter flavor in the Keebler light buttery crackers, which have no actual butter, simply
1: disappeared. You mean the butter was all salt? Ain't that something? My gosh. Well, you know, it's, it's not anything like this in the pot business.
0: More Chronicles of the Downturn. Plenty of businesses and governments furloughed workers this year, but Hawaii went further. It furloughed its school children. Public schools across the state closed on 17 Fridays during the past school year to save money, giving students the shortest academic year in the nation and sending working parents scrambling to find care for them. Something we don't understand. When I was... uh, doing after-school teaching in the um, L.A. public schools, and they stopped all after-school programs because the state went bankrupt. Do you know what that did to working families who had counted on after-school programs and summer school programs to help uh, house and teach and entertain their kids? You know, it, it, it was a disaster. It's still a disaster. Many transit systems have cut service to make ends meet. But Clayton County, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta, decided to cut all the way and shut down its entire public bus system. Its last buses ran on March 31st, stranding 8,400 daily riders. Even public safety has not been immune to the budget acts. In Colorado Springs, the downturn will be remembered quite literally as a dark age. The city switched off a third of its 24,000 streetlights to save money on electricity while trimming its police force and... And auctioning off its police helicopters I wonder who bought them maybe drug dealers yes the drug dealers bought the city's police helicopters it's a life filled with irony and drugs Faced with the steepest and longest decline in tax collections on record, state, county, and city governments have resorted to major life-changing cuts in core services like education, transportation, and public safety that not too long ago would have been unthinkable. Yeah, not too long ago, people weren't thinking. That's why we're in the crisis we're in. And services in many areas will get worse before they get better. The length of the downturn means that many places have used up all their budget gimmicks, cut services, raised taxes, spent their stimulus money, and remained in the hole. Even with Congress set to approve extra stimulus aid, some analysts say states are still facing huge shortfalls. Around the country, there have already been drastic cuts in core services like education, transportation, and public service, and there are likely to be more before the downturn ends. The cuts that have disrupted lives in Hawaii, Georgia, and Colorado may be extreme, but they reflect the kinds of cuts being made nationwide, disrupting the lives of millions of people in ways both large and small. A little story out of California recently. California is doing away with the salaries of people who are hired by the state to help the handicapped. There are wheelchair ridden people all over california now without anyone to help them out the door i mean it is the technological dust bowl let's call it the rust bowl let's call it the end of trust bowl we're lost
2: no we're not it's just ahead
1: are you sure
2: another few miles gotta be
1: you said that 20 miles ago keep to the right up here how do you know this looks right
0: Oh, Afghanistan. Yes, we can't. Yeah, we can't do it all, right? We gotta, we gotta bring the war back home. Plenty of enemies here, except the the army doesn't fight people at home. It's never, it's never been in coup mode. We have a, we have a politically clean army. It's just the, it's just what we send them to do abroad. There were some colonels back then in the seventies. Yeah, you know, they're, man, they're, you got to North, worry about those guys. But those are the exceptions, and they didn't get away with it. No? You know, they weren't mm-hmm. supported. Well, well, there was war back in the tanks.
1: Period too. Oh right? boy, was there! And they had to write their way through it. People, uh, people said hello and goodbye a lot in this era because they moved slowly. I guess in the eighth century around mm. their countryside. Yes, they did, and took yeah. took notice of it because they were moving more slowly. Indeed, and painted it, and right. calligraphed it, and wrote, it. breathed all these, it in, and, and made poetry. Well, about here's it. Wang Wei just writing a little occasional poem. It's the kind of poem you would, uh, you know. Uh, Right, and then pin on your front door. Good. To Secretary Sue. My place is at the mouth of the valley, beyond tall trees, around an empty village. You came down that stony road for nothing. No one to meet you at my cottage. Fishing boats were stuck on the frozen riverbank. A hunting fire was burning on the plain. The night was white and silent. Only the howls of gibbons and a far-off temple
0: bell. What a soundscape. Hey. <laughs> well, here we are. <laughs> Radio Free eyes, all made possible by the fabulous... Oz team. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host David Osman, Bill McIntyre, who is videoing us as we speak, is our producer. Dave Maloney is recording us as best he can with all the equipment attacking him. Scott <laughs> Wilde, well, he takes care of social media. Chaz Glass does the numbers. Tom Gedwillow does the web. John Cumming keeps us honest. And Phil Fountain, mmm, he just keeps us pretty. See you tomorrow.